Hey, Peace Nicks. I had no commercial today. I tried recording a funny ad about vaping, but it turned out not that great. I've been super busy with work, also been working on an opioid crisis episode, and I'm working on a project I hope to have released by Christmas. So I've been a little overwhelmed, but all in all, I'm in a good place right now. And ultimately, I wanted to just release this podcast, and it wasn't worth waiting another week for a dumb fake commercial. So I'm just gonna uh, just gonna put it out there. Today's guest is my very good friend, Mr. Kevin McGinnis. He has toured the world and played in many bands. He's a brilliant guitar player, songwriter, and singer. If you've listened to uh, Meg, Meg and I's music on SoundCloud, he played guitar on King of the Loons and The Garden. And those are just demos of ours. They're not we didn't do those in a proper studio. But he has a lot of music he has done in proper studios, and you can listen to his latest projects on all streaming services, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Bandcamp. It's 12 a.m. Flowers, 12 spelled out. 12 a.m. Flowers, his newest single, which is very cool on that one, is called Darling Darling. His other project, Twiggy Branches, just released a single called The Radiant Twist. Um, He has shirts available at glorydriven.com. They are custom prints. Um, they're made to order, so show your support, buy a shirt. That's at glorydriven.com, Twiggy Branches shirts. You can contact Kevin directly if you want vinyl or custom custom merch or anything at twiggybranches69 at gmail. Uh, he was signed to Virgin Records when he was a young man with a band called The New Rising Sons, and they finally, after 20 years, released those recordings on vinyl and streaming. So if you're interested in the vinyl, go to arcticrodeorecordings.com and get the new Rising Suns on vinyl. Okay, let's jump right in. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs are menacing our society. Any thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. On drugs. Check one, two. Click. Oh, we got better tonight. Click off. All right. So, um, I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. I'm going to take these off and then just sit here and chill, man. This is the first time, or it's, it's been a while since I've had somebody in the studio to do a podcast with. Um, I think Rhino was the last dude. He was a strange fellow. <laughs> He's a cool dude. In he, a good way. Yeah, definitely strange in a good way. Um, he, so I don't even know if he's gone. He's supposed to be gone after July 4th. I wonder if he's in the desert on his unicycle. In a Pokemon suit. In a Pokemon suit. I couldn't believe that he literally was on the beach in that. That was frightening. I could barely stand on the beach as it is. Yeah, he was riding up and down the beach with this huge blow-up Pokemon suit on. It was blowing him all around. He couldn't. He kept falling off of it. It was easily 100 degrees out. Yeah. Easily. Yeah, that was what? In the May? I think so. Yeah. But yeah, he postponed his trip to June 4th. Anyway, or July 4th. But um, yeah, so... They call me the hippo. Call you the hippo? Yeah. What's the, the counterpoint to Rhino? Oh. <laughs> the hip-hop abotomist and the rhinoceros. <laughs> the flight of concords. Uh, rap <clears throat> aliases. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, prison. What's that? That was what they do. He'd always ask him if he's prison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, roll call. He's like, you're looking at me. I'm right here. Right. Um, yeah, it's weird being back in the studio now. Um, 
for those obviously who can't see this, it's a cool studio. Yeah, it's, I put a lot of effort in, and then I'm living in Fort Myers. It's hard to find people to, to get in here. Um, I granted, I haven't. When I've asked a few of the head shop owners, and they're just like, "Oh, we're kind of busy and stuff," and I haven't really like hit them hard enough. Like with like, like come in here. I don't know. Try to get purple. Take pictures of the room and show them. I said, "Well, they 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 got my stickers and stuff. They're giving them out." And <clears throat> pardon us. So we'll see see what happens there, but um, yeah, I wanted to get you in here because you're one of my best friends. Uh, Definitely my best friend down here in Fort Myers. And um, we hang out all the time, and we just haven't done this. I have to sit down and talk. That's on me. I I've know. Been, I've been uh, hesitant, as I was telling Aaron, as he knows. Not because of him or the podcast, but because of me. So, But here I am. Here you are, man. I think, thank you for doing this. You're awesome. Um, Maybe I'll loosen loosen up today. I'm going to crack my first beer of the day. I'm going to try a dogfish head. I haven't been drinking most last few days. I had a, one drink yesterday at dinner, but... That was it. But, uh, yeah, so we, we had started a music project. Or you you kind of joined in on the Mad Feathers thing. We started helping us write, arrange some music, and that was when February of 2020. So, well, actually, we probably started in December of 2019, but we just, we just started working on it, and then February, we really were starting to get some songs that we liked, and then COVID, boom. COVID did it a lot, and, yeah, not only that project, but for me, it killed going to Japan and a record release and uh, pretty much a record deal there. That yeah, with Twiggy Branches. For a band right? called Twiggy Branches, yeah, we had, um, we just put out our third release, which is a single called The Radiant Twist, and that was out July 2nd, so it's out. But in 2017, we put out an EP called Waste Not Want More that was pressed in Japan, as you know, and... Um, Albeit last year, it was 2020, and it took three years for everything to catch up over there. We were about to tour and uh, start pressing the prior record we just did in uh, October of 2020 that we released. But that lost its way. It kind of fell to the wayside because of COVID and uh, us not getting over there. And they weren't, <clears throat> pardon me, going to put money in again when we weren't going over there, you know. Right. Uh, so maybe that'll happen next year or maybe it's just dead in the water. But that was one of the biggest things from covid for me in terms of travel yeah man it's awful and a lot of artists suffered that way have you now you you actually have your new singles being played on the air over there in some stations right in japan yeah mike rogers is a pretty well-known uh i don't know do you still call them djs even though they're internet radio dudes i mean i think so so he has a great show over there called the mike rogers show and everyone should listen to it regardless if we're on the episode or not it's cool it's funny it's quirky it's very japanese and uh, he's been playing it a bit. We've been in his top ten twice. And then we got a number one on in Australia on the radio station. Uh, I don't know that it'll last beyond that one week, but we'll see. Uh, people are, people seem to enjoy it. Uh, you know, it's quirky as fuck. Yeah, it's well, it's great. It's 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 a whole you got a whole like uh energy to it and like you do, it's almost like you're doing a character, right? Like you become Twiggy Branches, you you cuz you did a little performance for us. I want to say over, like two years ago just after the first record you played some of the first record songs mm. in our living room it was like a full private concert you like transformed into somebody else and just had all this <laughs> energy it was awesome I had yeah man I appreciate that and that was fun and like it's it's a character I had to create out of necessity ultimately because of the way my career was going and the where my head was artistically writing and initially I don't want to give away the, the secret because I might use it for something else but it was supposed to be Twiggy was unknown and then because of it, you know, in this day and age, it's hard to be unknown and get some traction. 
uh, had the then I mean that sounds cryptic because the original idea was really cool and it would have went well, but it just didn't seem the right time. So Twiggy became this character, um, and there's an arc to the story. There's an arc to it, and the second record, which is called "Hello from Sunny Sigils," is a continuation of the first record, and the first record's kind of what seems to be his rising decline. Not like you know, I mean, Ziggy, Twiggy, but it's not quite the same in that right. sense. But the second record we turned into a... The idea was that Twiggy went so far off he became an animated per character, literally. And <laughs> so we created this animated show, me and my buddy Brian Smith, who's an amazing uh, uh, comic artist, cartoon artist, artist in general. And we pitched it, and unfortunately it never got made. You know, it's still in the background, but we drew everything out. Everything, you know, we wrote... I wrote five straight-up, you know, screen uh, scripts... Yeah. And we pitched it to Frederator, all the big names, Comedy Central, and we had a hold on it. But So the idea was that Twiggy went completely crazy, and he was living in an insane asylum, and he convinced um, three of the other, was it three? Yeah, three of the other, uh, what do you call it? Patients. Patients, that they were the biggest rock band in the world. And, and so they would go on these delusional pill bins. So he, yeah, he would, they would all hoard their, their meds. And then he would have a revelation, so to speak, or a vision, and that would be the episode. They they'd go off. They they'd hide in his. Um, it was kind of like the line the witch in the wardrobe. They'd hide in the wardrobe, eat it, and he'd scream, "Am I going sane?" Just kind of like a He Man thing. And yeah. then they would disappear, and they were out there. And one of the you know so every song from Hello from Sunny Sigils would have been the closing of the episode. So the first song is called "The Patient Twiggy Branches," which has a double meaning, obviously. Right. And then you have uh, I Was Mary Shelley in a Past Life. That was one of the episodes we actually wrote out and, and did like an animatic for it. And the idea was that he really believed he was Mary Shelley. And so they go back and it turns out that, you know, he gave birth to Frankenstein literally. It's a fuck, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Um, but, and that came from part of my life. I used to have dreams that I was actually Mary Shelley for real. Really? Yeah. What's your connection with her? Just None. It was just, it was, it was an ongoing dream. And I, it was really real. It was strange. So, um, that, that's fascinating. That's that's a because I, I know you know everybody knows the story of Frankenstein, but I don't know a lot about the author. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was no connection in the no. sense of like she was born on the same day, or we lived anywhere near each other in the planet, or you know something that you could tie together. It was just a feeling that I was embodying, living her living well, her that, life. That's, that's probably my favorite song on your second record. The, that one, that the three Dr. that people, Dealer. Dr. Dealer, that and Run to the Litter are the three that seem to be yeah. the connectors. Um, and I understand that, uh, but, you know, I mean, it was trying to, we tried to cut all the fat. The only literal fat on the record is the way it starts, when it's like, doom, 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 there's a little space. And then from that, once that kicks in 10 seconds later, there's no fat on the whole record. And oddly, you can see where, like, People might even think those first fifteen seconds are too much, you know, too much space for them. But because of the kind of songs, so you do have how many songs in less than thirty minutes? It's eight songs in eighteen minutes. Yeah, that's that's. So the first to the point fast on every song. Yeah, without being, you know, without losing hook and everything, and so the first EP is five songs in eighteen minutes. Oh, they're almost the exact same time, and then eight songs in eighteen minutes, and then the new single is three minutes and one second. But that's because I thought. We need a bass solo and a drum solo, <laughs> so and then yeah, the a saxophone first, solo. The new one's longer. The sax solo is freaking awesome, man. 
And that was that came out of I had all these ideas for vocals in the middle to kind of do these weird Bono things. And I was like, wait, why am I doing that? And then I said, maybe those should just be voice, voices of saxophone. It would come out of nowhere. And it did. And so, at, and preface, everything we record is live. Not all of my vocals. That's straight, you know, I'll admit that. Um, but everything we record is one take straight through. There's no punching in. There's like, you know, we might have had to fix one thing. Like, but we cut everything live. And this last one, we did, actually the whole last record and this single we did with no click track. There's only one song, uh, um, Dr. Dealer has a click track on that because it was really hard to go back and forth between those vibes. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't have one. In fact, when we recorded the Radiant Twist, those guys hadn't even heard the song. We hadn't been in the studio for a year together, we even played together because of COVID. Yeah, and you recorded that up in New York? In Piermont, New York, at Paul Kostabi's second studio. Paul is been our has been our engineer for all three recordings. He's also a very well-known painter. Um, and we did it up there in about four hours. We went in, and if you've listened to it, there's a lot of changes. Yeah. And those guys had, I, there was no vocal reference for them. Literally, I showed, we learned it because we played in the studio and we, we played so fucking loud. I've never had an amp on 10 for a recording ever. And we did, everything was at full volume because it was a huge warehouse. So yeah. I couldn't even try to do it. And also for this track, if you feel how pushing it is, I was, Chris, our bass player, also plays in Swans and this band Human Impact. Swans being very big band. And he has a guitar that has like 13 gauge strings on it. And so I use that. Wow. I played that straight through, like mm-hmm. whole like cording movements. That and stand, whole and standard tuning. Yeah, like wow. it was hard. It was fucking hard. Man. Yeah, and um, but it it kind of fulfills. There's a you know there's only one guitar in that besides Phil's then overdubbing his lead stuff. Otherwise, there's no uh, what do you call it? There's no doubling of rhythms really. Yeah. You know? So so it's what you what you hear is what you did live with the exception of vocals. Yes, I I sang those vocals after. And that's it, and the sax came in after. Yes, we sent him everything afterwards. I kind of said, hey, listen, here's what I kind of charted what I want, but without it being real charting. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's reference, here's what you, you know, get back to me. And he did, and it's like, oh, I add this, cut this, done. Yeah. You know, it's like, but let loose a little bit. Like, it's going to be odd, like Ian Jury or, you know, something off, because no one's going to expect that to come in, you know. Even people I told the saxes, they're like, they had no clue that it was happening. Yeah. So that's a long way around to where Twiggy started, and then so Twiggy became this character, and 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 in actuality, those songs from the second LP, which some now you know broke two minutes, were all about well, forty, thirty-five to forty seconds long initially because they were just going to truncate. They were truncated because they were going to clip at the end of the episode of the animated show, so you couldn't have a three-minute-long song, right? You could oh. put those up online longer. So even those songs even had rushed quicker. I had to extend some of them to be like, okay, we're doing a record. I'm not putting out 30-second songs, you know. Right. I'm not putting out a two-minute and 40-second record, but which maybe is, maybe is the future. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, we were like, okay, let's move this, let's move that. And the, the song that is completely, completely live on that, and I, I, we can get off this in a sec, but is Juxta Paranoia Isolation. That's uh, a cool song. Because Chris... Yeah. 
Chris was all on his own without you know just him and the bass. If you, you know. is he kind of a human metronome when he plays? Like he's pretty pretty spot on anyway. Drew, yeah, Drew is amazing. Yeah, they're and Chris and Drew together, I get away with whatever I please. You know, yeah. these are two guys. I've been playing with Chris since high school. I've known Chris since we're fourteen or fifteen, and Drew I've been playing with for twenty four years. So the, them two getting together. And me being the conduit was very simple. You know, like, they, he knows how I react. He knows how I react. I know how they play. And they're obviously going to connect without me. But that, that triangle really, you know, me facilitating it really yeah, so worked. you become a whole, like, system. Like, if you're, like, a circulatory system, he's one of you, a different organ. But you become one. Absolutely. And, and they're beasts, you know. So, like, I get away with, like, I hear this record. Let's go do it. And so, in that, in that notion, well, just to finish that with Juxta Paranoia Isolation... There were guitars throughout that song, but Chris just was playing the bass on one day. I was like, that's it. Like, let's take my guitar. So it's just him on his own with bass. And so I sang that. That whole song is live vocal. So that whole song is, is oh, completely cool. live. Um, just because I couldn't leave him hanging there. You yeah. know? But if you listen to that, I mean, he plays the bass so hard and so strong. It's, it's, it's kind of mad. It's mental. And so, and so you're a three-piece um, on the record. There's, if there's some overdubbing of other instruments, that's just... The whole first EP was done with Phil live. Then the second EP was done without, it was just me, Chris, and Drew. Oh, so you had a guitar player in the first record, besides yourself? Yes, in the room. Gotcha. Second record, we cut the record, Phil overdubbed. Oh, so you are a four-piece either way? Yeah. Both records? Yeah, because the way Phil, Phil, like if you, there's so many different rhythms happening and all, if you listen, like none of us, we're all interchanging. There's like a lot that's happening and that's not, like matching you know yeah yeah, so that Phil came in even even on this single he cut his at home but I say to him he does he you know I can look at the waveforms and it's one take I'm like play like you're there don't if you fuck up keep going yeah unless it's bad then you know but so everything does have that feel and vibe and um that's awesome. Now, when you were going to play live in Japan mm-hmm. for that tour that got shut down because of COVID, was it going to be all four of you going? Well, the idea was for that to happen, yes. But Swans were very active then. And so Chris was going back and forth and to how he could be there. And so part of it was like he was going to fly there and then we would fly him to meet Swans. Just trying to really kind of connect it. Swans usually fly like to Europe and rehearse there for a couple of weeks before their tours. Yeah, which is very cool. Yeah. Um. So that was part of it. Then we were going to bring in another, you know, someone else who if he couldn't do it, and so it was interchangeable. But before we even made the plan, it was stopped. Um. So yeah, I mean, we've only played a few live gigs actually. Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten away with not, which is fine by me. Um, well, are you still thinking about once now that COVID's sort of coming to an end, maybe trying to get back to doing something in Japan, at least at some point in the future? That has nothing to do with us, really. That has to do with our liaisons and connections there and whether they're willing to kind of go out of their way to help. Which COVID kind of put a, a wrench in the spokes for that for now. It seems like they're getting back to normal. And, you know, there's got to be the capital, you know, to get us there mm-hmm. and to make some money and then... You know, we can't have our only uh, merchandise be our first vinyl, you know. So there'd have to be no, new things printed or shirts printed and the whole bit. And you have your sec- oh, your second one's not pressed on vinyl yet. That they, you know, the idea the was, yeah. Uh, so we, we, we couldn't get anyone else to deal with it because we, 
we were sitting on it because it was because of uh, you know of COVID, and I finally was just like I need to put it out. Let me ask you this: Is Japan are they about like us as far as like most kids are streaming? They're not no CDs, no. Cassettes? No, Japan's huge. Tile Records are still huge. Their CDs are gigantic. They are because yeah. CDs are dead here, aren't they? To me, they're dead. I don't. I don't ever want to put. I, mean, them I still out. have a, my, my 2019 car has a CD player. I was shocked. I was like, "What is this for?" My 20. Wait, do I have a 2000? Yeah, yeah, you got same yeah, year. same car. Yeah, I didn't know if mine was a year older, but yeah. So we have the same year. Mine does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I haven't gotten rid of my CDs. There's still when I go to like Barnes and Noble, there's still a CD section. I'm like, who's shopping here? Like, it's a farce, you know. I mean, what a quick turnaround between vinyl, CD, and back to vinyl and digital, right? I mean. People do claim they like the quality of a CD better. Is, is, well, so CD is the highest quality. Is it higher than MP3 quality? Yeah, it's higher than it's MP3 a wave, They're wave files, essentially, yeah. So wave files. So you're not streaming at wave capacity. You're streaming MP3. If, I think that Tidal says they do. You know, Tidal has the highest capacity. of. You know, it's not an MP3. or. You know, so it's higher than MP3. Yeah. But still, to me, it's kind of like, okay, I get the streaming. I've given in. But I still buy vinyl. Why well, buy vinyl? Yeah, Vinyl's man. fun to collect, though. That's why, like, if you're gonna release a record, like you do, you, mm -hmm. well, at least you did on your first one in your new Rising Suns, you got vinyl. I'm buying them. Mm -hmm. If you release, if somebody released like Tool's new record, they didn't, have, they did CD only, and it was an eighty dollars CD. Now, granted, May got it for my birthday, and it's a very sweet thing she did, and, mm -hmm. I, and I love the artwork. But I wasn't gonna buy an eighty dollars CD. There's no way. But yeah, I was like, they didn't strange. release vinyl, and this, this Tool, who was complaining about streaming left and right, is like. And they were always like that you could get vinyl first if you pre-ordered. They mm -hmm. didn't do any of that. I guess that's a very 90s mentality to stick to the CD, of which I've tried to get rid of my, my 90s mentality because I think it was, yeah. well, the late 90s mentality. But Well, it was weird that they were so mad about going to... Um, about going to streaming, it's like it's like you can't be mad. This is the way it's going. It's unfortunate. I understand as an artist, you can't make the same money off your art. Well, my bloody Valentine didn't do streaming until now. But they they haven't. Own... They haven't had a record though in how many years? No, they put out one a few years ago. So it was twenty years. I to... thought that the, the singer wasn't around anymore. Kevin Shields. No, no, he is. So my bloody Valentine had their big thing, Loveless, and but and they broke up in the eighties, right? In ninety, mid early nineties. Okay. And he kind of went and did his own thing. And then they, he did make a record called MBV a few years ago. And they're putting out like seven new records now. But you can only find the one record that had to do with the previous label, not the newer stuff. Okay. So he, they had their own website where you only could buy like high level, high res waves and blah, blah, blah. But now they've actually given, they signed a new deal and they're putting all their stuff up apparently now. Yeah, I've listened to them on through streaming. When I first got into streaming, it was probably... Eight, seven or eight years ago, I remember there was a lot that wasn't available. Tools, the late, latest one that got available, became available mm. during Fear Inoculum, but Zeppelin wasn't there, the Beatles weren't on there, and they slowly just all started coming in. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it seemed a necessary evil, and I guess to my point that I'd rather have buy the vinyl, support the band, and then have, you know, a million things I could put in my pocket, right? Oh, yeah. So and I can't, so I, why, I don't know why I need a CD, you know, anymore. Exactly. It's just, it's just pointless. Unless you are touring and it's lighter weight and those kind of things, but I still would prefer to never make a CD again, in my opinion. Yeah, now, I, I might be eating my words in four years and people are like, we only want all your records on CD and I'll be like, okay. <laughs> I think CDs are going to keep going down and down and down. Uh, you know, so I was reading an article today in Notion of this about how smaller indie it was a pitchfork thing now you can take it or leave it you know with if your love of them or not but this was kind of, this is just a it's not like an opinion piece it's actual business piece saying 
that smaller labels and indie bands are now foregoing vinyl because COVID killed the process and how long it's going to take to make vinyl and it's being overpriced and everything. So that's very interesting to see that now people are having to opt out because it's just that, you know, like we had to deal with the backups for COVID for the New Rising Suns release. Yeah. yeah but it still kind of all worked out to the same thing. Well, see, I wonder if you can use, there's like an algorithm. It's real simple too. I'm reading this book, Scott Galloway, called Post Corona. Mm-hmm. Or po- yeah, Post Corona. But he said basically that there's a, there's a saying that um, it's attributed to Lenin. It's... Um, to, to, to what? His, to, to Vladimir Lenin. Okay. Is that, said Landon. Uh, is, I was said, like, Michael uh, Landon? What did it say? Um, it could some, oh, what did he say? Well, if I'm going to mess it up. Something about it can take decades for some things to happen, and then decades can happen in a, in a week, something mm-hmm. like that. Understood, yeah. So, but basically, so what happened with COVID was, is everything, it took, 10 years happened within a matter, matter of weeks. Right. Is that it, took, it took Apple 42 years to reach a trillion dollars in worth, and then during COVID, eight months to, really, to reach two trillion. Yeah. And it took... Um, oh, that's mental. Yeah, it, but it said any, any business that was doing good is doing great. But any business that was on, like, the, that was on, the, you know, on the fence is gone. And yeah, the, the music business is so nebulous as it is and strange. And, yeah, well, so what you're having, though, is the big companies, tech companies mainly, Amazon, all these companies are just, all the companies Spotify. that are going out are being bought up by, all, by the ones that were doing good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so Spotify, so you think the record business might change by these streaming services and Apple buying up what the little labels that were left that can't survive it, and all of a sudden you just get more and more corporatized. Like, everything's getting centralized into, into the big, the, you know, the wealth's getting... Yeah, I don't know what's next with all of that. I mean, honestly, people don't seem to care much um, how musicians or artists survive. So, um, yeah. Well, touring once that starts to open back up, that would be back to how how musicians make their money. But you know, there'll be a, there'll be such an um, onslaught of the big bands. People want to see the big bands that it's going to crush oh. a lot of the small bands because they're going to book all the venues. And seemingly, I think you know, I don't know how. I don't know how bands are going to come back from this ultimately. Well, I do feel bad for bands. I mean, Twiggy's one of them, right? You were you were about to do a tour in Japan. Any band that was on the up, we would have probably been there twice last, yeah. last year. So, yeah, so it's really hard for bands that were just coming up that were, you know, starting to get get some. But some I mean, traction. on that notion, again, like I was kind of saying, without we, <clears throat> Twiggy's only played a few gigs. I, you know, I'm kind of over touring. America for no reason. Well, you've been touring for you know, how many I don't years? I want to go. I don't want to go to no, the middle of nowhere anymore to win people over. Yeah. And so, if they're gonna just listen to, you know, I don't even know if I'm gonna win them over on streaming. I'm surprised anyone gives a shit about what I do, to be honest. You know, um, so the fact that anyone gives a shit is great, but the that push to sit. I mean, America is just huge, and to go through America and the tour and to go to towns where people don't give a shit and. To win them over, it's tough. I'm too old, and I don't care enough, like anymore. So, I'd rather we have actually for instance this Thursday I have a we have a Zoom meeting for, for Twiggy for a label in Australia, and it has oh, nothing yeah. to do with the Australian chart thing, oddly enough. But you know, some of their questions were like, "Is this a full time band? You know, we can know the biz, and we can." I'm like, "Oh Jesus!" I was like, "Did you not read the bio and brief? It's like there's a there's a few hundred years of experience here." The band's done everything from tour of the world to a basement show. We've done everything from major label releases to this release that I've sent, you know, that you're curious about. So I don't even know, like, what are your, like, 
if you know the biz, why are you asking me these stupid questions? You know. Yeah. Now, if I if we sign with them, you can cut like, like we can erase this bit. But um, I don't know that they can help us, and so I don't. You know, I don't. The, to me, it seems kind of like going back to the old days where it's a spec thing or just like for the fun of it. But a label's obviously not going to do that. So it's to me, it's like okay, put out a seven inch, put out something interesting, something unique that a few people can get. It'll make you your money back, get notoriety, maybe. Just like some seven inches now from twenty years ago are worth a fortune, yeah. You know, um, maybe that can be the path. It's something simple, um, but yeah, it's like no, we can't be a full band unless you help, unless we have help, you know, because that's not the climate. And yeah. I don't know who, th- who could possibly think it is. You know, Drew has his band. I do others think. You know, I have the Twelve Inch Flowers record come out, and, and that's Christmas doing and good Swans. too. You have a. Yeah. I, I was doing good. I'm surprised though that. Twiggy's kind of surpassed it. Really? And that song to me is like the most universal tune I've ever written. I'm like, this is going to, you know, this is, this is. But there was a good article I read about it. Um, There's some press, yeah. And, you know, I, it was just, it's, it's just that people have to, everyone has to think that. Uh, that that 12 million <laughs> flower song, is that on streaming yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that came out the, um, June 18th, the same day as the New Rising Sun stuff. June 18th, so that, and that's uh, 12 a.m. Flowers, and the name of the song is? Darling, Darling. Darling, Darling. Part of an upcoming EP called As They Kiss Consume, which is stolen from Shakespeare. It's oh. a Shakespeare, it's a phrase in a Shakespeare. Bard. The, the bardman. <laughs> and that's, well, and actually to go on and back, to kind of go on a tangent through this, the the characters in the Twiggy second record record that were coming, because part of Hello from Sunny Sigils, Sunny Sigils was the name of the insane asylum. If you look at the drawing, they don't represent any of us. They look like none of us. Look like an 80s band. And, you know, one dude looks like Danny DeVito in the drawing, man, oh, you yeah. know? Like, um, the co- well, the cover, remember? Like, it's the, it's the well, Twiggy looks like the 80s yeah, rock. Yeah, yeah, that's what it... Yeah, but um, one of the characters only speaks from the words of Shakespeare, Drew's character. Yeah. So I had a... I had a I, dude... You had to read a bunch of Shakespeare. I, dude, this whole pitch and that whole idea took 10 months of solid work. And to not only go through Shakespeare, to pull out things that seemed like interesting non sequiturs or juxtapositional things, and then find out where they would fit. He, the character never speaks from anything else but Shakespeare. And that's I don't, that's I don't, brilliant, I do not alter any of the words either to fit. That, that's actually really brilliant. And I so like during that. that, so as they kiss consume, and I was like, that is the fucking title. At first, I was like, I'm going to write a vampire movie about that because that, that would be such a great vampire title, right? Yeah, and I pitched it to these one guys and whatever. But I was like, I can't lose that. So, that's gonna be the new EP for Twelve Million Flowers, and each song will be this one's Darling, Darling. The next one is Dangerous, Darling, and the last one is Damaged, Darling. Oh, so cool. it's a little theme to the whole thing. Uh, very electronic. If you go listen, it's everywhere. And then the name of the EP will be As the Kiss Consumes. As they kiss consume. Yeah. As they kiss consume. Yeah. Um, and that was you know thanks to the Bard, as you say, you know. Um, but yeah, that was. There's some crazy shit when you take Shakespeare out of context. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know that he was always yelling at uh, the nurse character, in in the uh, in the in the script. Um, what the hell are all the characters' names? Bob. Chris wanted to be called Bobson, because he saw some video game character in Japan called Bobson. So that was his one. Uh, JC was Phil's character because. Phil plays like like, a, like you know Jackie Chan drunken master, 
I think I think that's how Phil plays guitar. Like he's wasted, but he doesn't seem like oh, he's yeah. know what he's doing. But it's like I got you. you know, but he's like yeah. kicking ass all over the place. So he was JC, and I think actually Drew's was Andy, which is Andrew. I yeah, think that was a, I think unless I changed it. Fuck, it's been a bit. I'm trying to remember the in the Sandman, what the deal that Shakespeare made to, to become Shakespeare. Mm. Was it a deal with the Lord of Dreams or? I don't remember actually. That's a good point. I was just. Yeah, they, I was they, just they, listening they, to that again. They did a Midsummer Night's Dream, and it was like a, like a, another world came in where it was like the actual characters of Midsummer Night's Dreams, and then he wrote, wrote about them, mm-hmm. and so the real characters were watching their own play when they were practicing it, and like that's not me. The Goblin was talking. You know? Oh right, yeah, that's so brilliant. Fucking yeah. Neil Gaiman, Jesus man. And that just reminded me of that scene where he meets the guy in the bar when in the Sandman they meet every hundred years in the bar. Yeah, that was that was around this around the same time. Yeah. Because um, when the guy's in the bar, Shakespeare's in the bar, and his and his first play was shit. They're like, that's oh awful. right, yeah, that's how but it he, begins, right? Yeah, so I, I think he made a deal with the yeah. Lord of Dreams. Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that so yeah, it was in that moment. Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. That's why it sparked that. But yeah, you turned me on to the Sandman. It was because uh, the Audible release of the they, that they, shit was so well done. It was done really well. Denied. Yeah, and I'd never read the comics, so I bought the comics. Jeez. And I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that was Neil Gaiman uh, narrating it. Parts of it, yeah, most of it, yeah. Yeah, because he was he did this other thing. They did a little short story, but it was free on Audible. That was based on like um, Hitchhikers of the Galaxy. Sort so, mm-hmm. not based on that at all, but sort of like that. And I was like, and I was like Neil Gaiman read it, and I was, and as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, that's the that's his voice from. Oh, you know what it was. Um, I have it here. Pull it up because it was, it was, it was all right. It was almost like a Black Mirror in space sort of short story kind of thing. Space, space, space. The first phrase that, well, like log line notion that I came up with for twelve a.m. flowers was a bright reflection off of a black window. Wait, say that again. A bright reflection off of a black window. When people ask me how to describe the band, oh, so you think of like a scrying mirror, black mirror. You know, yeah, like yeah. that was the idea that. It was something shining through the darkness, kind of like a James Baldwin notion, ultimate actually. Okay. Like he always, he killed you with the depth, and then all of a sudden enlightened you. And yeah. Brought what you am out. I reading about James Baldwin? Oh, I'm reading uh, the what is it called the the new the new Jim Crow. Oh uh, yeah, that's what you have the book now. Yeah, on my phone. On your phone. Yeah, because I, I mean, <clears throat> it's a lot about the war on drugs. I mean, it's specific to what what's happening with you know the. African American black mm-hmm. men, or African black, but black men that are overly incarcerated, disproportionately, and and one of the really great things is that I said a lot of black women hated their hated their husbands or their ex husbands or their their baby dads mm-hmm. or their brothers or their fathers for abandoning them, and then read the book and, and like didn't realize that there was a right. system that's been oppressing that them, made them feel that right. made them not be they there for their family. Because they were like, I was so mad that he got back into selling dope and ended up in prison and left my, left our family. And then they read Wait, the book. Wait, James Baldwin? No, no he, just, he was just quoted a lot. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, what, so wait, I see these coasters that say the Peace on Drugs podcast. This is this podcast about peace on drugs. <laughs> it is, but you know what though? I was I was talking to Meg about it today because she's like, "What are you going to talk about?" And I was like, "Music and stuff." And 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 she was like, "Well, it doesn't have to be about drugs constantly because I can only keep reiterating the same points over and over." Now, if I get somebody on here who's like the mothers obtain the war on drugs, we're going to talk about that, right. and that's great. But if I get you on, we can talk about whatever the hell we want. Right. We're sitting here drinking a beer. You know, I might smoke a joint. Like it's all, it's all relative. Like we can, it, it relates in whatever way we want it to. I'm gonna open up one too. Yeah, these are pretty good. Although I'm not a big IPA guy, but 
I like I like Dogfish Head. It's the my buzz favorite is brewery. Good so far. I watched this. Uh, you know, they did the brewery shows where they go to different breweries, and mm-hmm. they went. I saw it years ago, but they was they went to Dogfish Head, and I just remember the the master brewer was just talking about what he did, and he's like. Yeah, man. He was like, oh, it seemed like a stoner. He's like, yeah, we had these chili peppers just laying around. I was like, man, fuck it. Throw them in, man. He's <laughs> like, we just gave it a new little flavor, man. He's like, it's really good. And I was like, these guys are cool. It's very Willy Wonka. It really was. He's missing a little time and a shoe, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, that the, and that was before, like, now there's so many breweries across America that it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we're sat in Florida and in Tampa, where I'd spend most of my time, there... It, there are, what, about nine in, like, a three-mile vicinity? Like, a three-mile. Dude, it's crazy. It is crazy. And they're fucking terrible. A lot of them are. And I think, number one, I think that's because of the water, and, like, the water down here is not great. But I also think, you know, instead of, maybe these people are putting their money into uh, brewing instead of bands, you know? Right? They're, they're, maybe those guys or women or, you know, were once upon a time... Saying, oh, I, you know, I put it into another art endeavor that had more of an outcome. Yeah. And now that's there's nothing tangible about music outcomes anymore. So I know there's a band, uh, this place called King State or something, that there's two bands, like they're like big emo bands that started uh, uh, up in Tampa. Tampa. Yeah. So what do you mean about that relating to the brewery? I lost you on that. The, the money bit? Yeah. Well, I just figure you're like, maybe there's so many breweries it's, and it's kind of like the equivalent of small, like bands. It's like, oh. these people would have used their money. It's like, oh, breweries are working and we're not that good of a band. So oh, let's so fucking do this. Yeah. <laughs> there's four of us and we were, you know, we could have made our shitty EP, but let's make shitty beer. <laughs> yeah. There, is, that a, is that a horrible thing to say? No, because there are too, there's too many breweries. But I mean, I think that for the most part, you know the good ones do better. I mean that that's right. the way the market works, and I don't know how breweries were affected during this COVID thing because I know that was the, for the first time they were able to sell beer to go. Um, I think they made a lot of fucking money. They definitely well, like you said, you were, you made the point when we we're sitting there. You're like, I I don't mind a brewery, but why are they charging me eight dollars when they're brewing it right behind this wall? Yeah, the, <laughs> the fucking cable is three feet. Like it's coming right out of that. So there's no transportation and I no I, bottling you know, costs. Yeah, nothing. I get I get it, but that's you know. I, if I'm going to pay New York prices, I want to be in New but York. But it's almost like a not, they're just doing it because they can. That's they can, and it's because it's 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 hot, it's hip, it's cool, it's it's glamorous, it's the new thing, it's flip flops. It's flip flops. Florida is. <laughs> <laughs> you hate on flip flops. You still don't own flip flops, and you've been in Florida. I will for, never own a pair of flip flops. Uh, I I got I, I love my flip flops, man. I just you know what? I guess it's that mentality. Like if someone's going to chase my ass, I need shoes on. I've run, I've run in flip-flops. I can't, man. I can barely get out of a car like in shoes like that. I have slippers. I'm just so used to them. I have slippers, and like they fall, they fling out if I, if I move too quickly. They're yeah. gone. Out the window. Yeah. D- done and dusted. Well, I know if, if, if ever, anything ever happens where like, you have to be in that situation, like a, a, say a fight breaks out, you got to help break it up, or whatever it is, you got flip-flops on, you got to kick them off. You can't, yeah, and then you can't jump in. Yeah. Then you're bare, well, I do jujitsu, man. You, 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 everybody that shows up for jujitsu is in flip flops. You kick them off and you get in the mats and you fight back. Oh my god! Actually, funny enough, there was a video of a, of a jujitsu master in a flip flop and they were like in the zone and he kicked. His, oh shit! I, I just hit the table. I was mimicking and he kicked his flip flop and hit the guy right in the face and and That's it was move. a perfect shot. He's like this and it hit him in the face and he attacked. I'm gonna him. start practicing that move, dude. It was fucking hilarious. Because that would be a badass move to do. Just. For the sake of just doing it, hilarious. Like, might hilarity. not might not win a fight, but I mean, I, I mean, this thing came off his foot like a rocket. <laughs> yeah, if you're like, whoosh. it was like in Red Dawn when they were like, whoosh. 
That's almost like a Krav Maga move because Krav Maga is like just you have to win the fight, whatever whatever mm-hmm. it takes to get out of a horrible situation. Say someone's attacking you, whatever it is, you have to get out. Uh, see, that's, you, I'm called Kev Maga then because I try <laughs> to get out of any situation. They, that's what they actually teach you. Is like if you can run, run. Like mm-hmm. who cares? You're just trying to survive. But if you're backed up in a corner right. and you have to stab somebody with a pencil, like whatever it is to get out of a situation and get hurt. Flip flop to the face. That's Krav Maga. Because as soon as they get that flip flop to the face, they're gonna go like that. You can run, right. or you can punch them. You can whatever you have to do. Totally, you can hit him with the frying pan that you have stored in your jacket for some reason. Flip flop. Why? He's like, why is it a frying pan? But who cares? It's the fact that I had it. I had. You know why? Because it's better to have one and not need it. Right. Than to not have one and need it. There you go. Everyone carry frying pans. And it could be a bulletproof vest. That's why I was. I assume that's why I had it because it was a cast iron. Is what I'm picturing. Right, and then you can cook. And then you can cook if you need it. It's, right, it's useful. I think it's a bulletproof eggs, vest. Possibly, it's some a eggs, weapon. You know what is it? You can cook some eggs. Oh, cook some eggs, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in Florida, you wouldn't even need like a lighter. You could just set the pan in the sun for a minute and then throw an egg on it, and you'd be good to go. It's funny, man. I never expected to be in Florida this long, and uh, it's confused me very much. <laughs> Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Florida's a weird place. It is, man. It's fucking strange. But I've come to understand that Yanks and Northerners can deal with the heat more than the people who are from here. Really? Yeah, man. There's so many people I know here who are from here just want to buckle in and hide and close the you know the shades in the summer. Now, maybe that's because there's no turn of season, ultimately. Like, giant. Like, here it gets super hot, humid, and rains a lot. In the summer, and then it gets nice for a few for for a bit, but it's always hot, right? Now that's that's me being a bit generalistic to the the notion of seasons, because obviously if you lived here your whole life, you know the change the changes and the the, the minutia and the specifics, right? But for someone who comes from where it gets so cold, and New York gets hot, you know. Oh yeah, and you're around millions of people, not you know a few hundred. Um, yeah, well, it's just as hot in North Carolina. But I, I see, like, I walk out and I go out and I'm still in jeans, and you know, and people are, like dying. I'm like, we can, we can do this. Like, join it, me. I, it's not that bad. I do use, I, I wear shorts. I still wear jeans. Like, if I go out to Captiva, I wear jeans because mm-hmm. of the bugs. But I, I do think it has to do with being in shape, at least somewhat in shape. Mm-hmm. If you're overweight and you don't ever work out or do anything, and you go out in that heat, it's gonna fucking hurt you. I mean, you know, the thing I've learned the most is day drinking here is different. You know, to, to handle that. Oh wait, side note: I did buy a pair of jorts recently because I was in a, I was helping a friend out in the video. Wait, oh jean shorts? Huh? Yeah, wait. acid wash jorts. Oh yeah. And now I'm known as Jort Michael. <laughs> Come on, ba bum bum. That's where you put the laugh track in. <laughs> Careless whispers. <laughs> well, are you going to wear them? I wore them in the video. Oh, I mean, like, are you going to wear shorts now? Because you're slowly going to turn into a Floridian. It starts with jorts, and then it goes, those are kind of comfortable. I'll wear the flowery shorts. You know, I find jeans more comfortable, to be honest. Like long jeans? Yeah. I've, I Like, I get dressed twice in the day. I'm sure this is fascinating to everyone. <laughs> but I get up and get dressed, then I get showered and then I get dressed again so I dress, I get dressed twice hmm you get, you get up you, oh you know I do like, that I get dressed dressed when I wake up I do that sometimes if I'm like if I got stuff to do but I don't feel like like going to the gym right yet and getting in the shower I'll get dressed I'll go do some shit then I'll go then I'll get in my gym clothes go to the gym and then I'll change shower three and then times I, if you. you include the gym clothes three times that's true usually it's twice usually I wake up gym clothes on 
walk the dogs, go to the gym, shower, dressed for the day. Should we talk about drugs now? Nah, people want to hear about what, how many times we change clothes. I think that's more important. <laughs> it is, you know, because make, that's my, you know, I'm a Virgo Libra cusp. And so my dynamic within myself is perfection and completely uh, being a flake. <laughs> and that's a hard, that's a hard road to hoe, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it causes me grief. So therefore, when I get up, I have to feel together because I wasn't feeling together because I was being flaky. Yeah. For the first five minutes of being awake, I was flaking out. Now, we, we're, we talk, we're talking about Florida. Okay. Um, it's funny because every time I watch some of my favorite comedians on my shows, Florida is just the constant make, make fun of Florida. Mm-hmm. And I get it. And I get why they're making fun of it. It's, it's Florida's a weird place. And you're from New York and you hated it at first. I still hate it. I still it. hate it. But, but you don't mind Ebor as much. I look at it's a, it's a, it's a, I still, I hate New York now. So maybe that's just me and I'm a prick cunt, you know, but I, it, to me, should I go on a little bit or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it's the fact that what I do like about Florida is it asks nothing of you, but it, a lot of people don't take any call to their well-being and doing because of that. So there's a lot of shit not happening here culturally. It's very dead. It is. And... And it doesn't have to be. But there, there are five there major are pockets. cities here, man. Yeah, there are pockets of culture. Miami's got a good one. I mean, I love Miami. The big cities. Uh, but if many Floridians you speak to north of Miami don't like Miami, and you know you can make any. Well, I used to hate on Miami, but that's because I had only been to South Beach. But then when I thought like Art Basel's there every year, Miami rules. Art Basel, whatever it's called. That's uh, yeah, it's great. Is that, is that named after the fact that the LSD was synthesized in Basel? I think it's named after the. Um, Switch out. Oregano and basil. Oh, basil. They, they, Hard they, basil. <laughs> they, um, they came and, you know, I think they, they initially colonized Miami, the basils. The basils. <laughs> but I love Miami, and I spend, I've had so many great times there. But to, to the point of we're saying, many people say that's not Florida, who are Floridians, right? And we can only, I say that about QS. But QS they say really... because of skin tone and... You know, Cubans and... Well, that makes it more Florida than anywhere. But that's what's said here. And so that's interesting at how... That's because Fort Myers has got a lot of... How within <laughs> culture, even in Tampa, I hear that. Oh, we don't want to go... I, you know, we don't go to Miami. Because of skin color? My guess is it because it's not a very white town, is it? Yeah, there, there are a lot of um, racists in Florida. But yes. there's also a lot of cool people and... I've are... met some great people. I mean, present company. Uh, but I've also had an incredibly difficult time connecting here and my, I st- my, my career is still connected to not Florida. Right. And I just have an impo- It's very been an overwhelming. Many people here, like when you tell them a simple story, and this is, I mean, I guess I'm going to be excommunicated from Florida now, but, you know, they're like, that's not true. It's like, dude, that was one day of my life in New York. Like, shit happened. It's very different. That doesn't mean, you know... It can't happen here. It has to be made to happen here. There has to be a scene. And the scene can't be just a click. You yeah. know? There's, like, why doesn't Tampa communicate with Orlando more? They're an hour and two hours apart. Yeah. Like, there's this, this state is huge and actually could be, in my opinion, if they got the shit together and, the, and promoters and put it together, the money, people could just tour Florida. And actually, though, after COVID, it's kind of changing. You see comedians coming down here that haven't been here in a while. Mm-hmm. Bill Maher is doing one of his two of his shows, and one of them's in Florida. Right. Bill Burr is going to be here next month. Dave Chappelle's coming. Like, I mean, granted, they they all came here a few times anyway, but they're all coming here specifically because we are wide open, and so many people have moved down here. 
Right. So yeah. the whole dynamic of Florida is changing. Places like St. Pete could be a whole new thing. Like it should be. Yeah. And also, you got to think Austin, Texas, like with Rogan moving out there, and they're opening up a whole new comedy club there. And there's so many people coming through Austin that Austin was already an up and coming city. We know that oh my it's going to be even bigger now, and people are leaving LA. People are leaving California in uh, in insane droves. I mean, yeah. they're like, who's I just speaking about? To, about it too that like Idaho the price in Idaho and Iowa's towns have gone up like 130% because people are leaving and fleeing California well and also people are working from uh, remote oh, yeah. so so my sister said that they just bought some property in the North Carolina mountains and she said that the price that they paid was like four times as much as it would have been because a lot of people are just moving to the mountains because they don't have to work in the city anymore yeah. they're like we can just go buy a house in the mountains and I can work from home yeah at what point is it? Is it you know Prudent is that the right word and beneficial to everyone in society and that people are happier, healthier, wiser. Okay, computer. That was my... <laughs> and um, you know, or is it that you know it's further pushing people apart and will people be more let will they be less inclined to speak to their neighbor and what I mean? Or people it, already if hate home, each other. But if they're home more and they're happier being home with their families, they might be more talking to the neighbors more often because they're not getting the connection at work. So instead, they'll have or connection they're with the neighbors. Or in the woods, not doing shit. Right? Or in the woods, but I, I think which also, it sounds great to me. Also, the, like the, if you could pay me to live in the woods. Well, they said the emissions in this country have went down drastically because mm-hmm. people aren't commuting to work. That's good. That's a huge positive. So there's been a lot of positives with the COVID. The biggest negative and the most the, the worrisome thing, though, is the centralized wealth and power going to the top percent top one yeah, percent and that's been happening but it's it's got expedited they said it, of what was going to happen by two by 2030 it's already happened now. it was like sea monkeys you put a little water on a sea monkey and <laughs> that's how that's how much richer they got yeah it's 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 getting like well what did somebody come uh, like I said jeff jeff bezos worth 130 billion or he was before covid i don't know if he's worth now but if he's worth 130 billion, like that's a glitch in capitalism. No one human being should be allowed to be worth over even one billion dollars or even a billion dollars. You're one person. Right. Your company can be worth that, but it should have to be split up amongst a certain. Well, amount. the terminology or the you know the lexicon there allowed is what where people find the roadblock. Yeah, because right, he, who's, he, who's he, the government to stop them? Right. So the idea is, if you are given that opportunity in life by literally. You know, he started by giving nothing. It's, it was a fake. You know, it's not. It's not like he's supplying his own thing. He was supplying uh, what do you call it? Like a conduit, ultimately. Um, he should learn to give back, like his ex-wife now, who is the, one of the biggest philanthropists she is. on the planet. Well, I've said begin with they, why, like they've said we need a billionaires to start buying up some of the Amazon because it's getting cut down, like something like a hundred or thousands of acres every day. So I can't remember the number. Mm-hmm. Well, what about a company like Amazon that's literally named after right. the Amazon? They can't buy some of it just to make because it's the Earth's long. Yeah, I don't think. Um, I mean, uh, Jeff Bezos is like, now I want to go to space. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it's, what, it's him, Branson, and Musk in did, there. Did, did Branson go yesterday? Uh, I, I saw, one thing I saw that it was canceled, and then I saw that he did indeed go. So I did not look further into it. At this, <laughs> sure. it so I'm not sure which was true. Well, um, if he did go, either way, all I saw in the headlines is that we've we finally entered the age of space tourism. I saw a great tweet from somebody that was like, yo, Bezos, you're a billionaire, and you're not even like Batman yet or Iron Man. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> It was awesome. It was like, hey, it's true. Like, you ain't doing shit, man. You ain't even going to, you know. 
And how do you let Branson beat you to space? Granted, Branson was with Rich Ray before him, but isn't he richer than Branson? By a long shot. That's what I would think. Yeah, not right? even close. But, you know, Branson's obviously that egomaniacal. Yeah. But he's like, like there's a difference between their personalities. Granted, they must they have to both be insanely narcissistic and self serving. Um, but you know, Branson's got that, you know, the silver fox stupid English thing going. And yeah. uh, Bezos is kind of like the Lex Luthor with, you know, he almost looks like Lex Luthor. Like he could play Lex Luthor in a movie, but he's the and real then there's life Musk, person. who actually thinks he's cool and is the dumbest dork on earth. Like I'm gonna say he's dumb. He's got ass in that sense. But you know? he's and I, I'm not saying in terms of an intellect I that like, he thinks I, he's cool. I, yeah, the think he's cool. I mean, I watched the the SNL and it was just cringeworthy. I was like, this is just so. I couldn't even bother. It, it was. I just did not enjoy it at all. I love the weekend updates. That's it. The last season was pretty good though, up until about halfway to somewhere in the end, it just started getting worse. But the weekend updates always kept me going, kept me watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't watched it. In Michael ages. Che, Michael Che is a, is amazing. I was on a plane with him once. Really? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> You're both. <laughs> we didn't York. chat. Yeah, we were. We were, actually we were both leaving Charlotte. Good to go to New York. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure he was coming from somewhere else. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's from Charlotte. Actually, I look. I think I looked it he's up. He's from New York. Is he? Yeah, he's from New okay. York. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I was also on a plane on that same sure from, from that, that same trip. Pretty sure it's from Long Island. On the way there, the dude from the guitar player from the Roots was on the plane. Oh really? They the Jim you know, like now they wait, who's this who did Jim Jimmy Fallon took them over, right? What is that? Uh yeah. Yeah. Yep, Jimmy Fallon. Which I, I don't know if it was before or after that. Yeah. My favorite uh late night musician is um oh, what's his name? The, the comedian. M- musician or he's always oh, a comedian. Oh wait, we talked about him on my first podcast. He's he's one of my favorites. I'm just having a brain fart here from this. What kind of what are we doing here? Ninety minute Imperial. Oh, uh, Reggie Watts. Oh yeah, Reggie Watts is on the. Um, he's on a TV show. James Corbin is that what his name oh, is? Oh, I can't stand that guy. He's all right. I can't do it. Uh, honestly, Col- Col- not Reggie Watts. James Corbin. No, but he's re- but no. We'll see Reggie Watts when he was on the Scott Ackerman. What was that show? Um. It was him and Scott Ackerman. It was on the Comedy Central or something like that, right? Yeah, it was on... It wasn't Comedy Central, but it was... Wow, that show... Oh, Scott... It was so good. Scott Ackerman. It was just like a sketch show. But he, he was a musician. Reggie Watts is a genius. I, I love his Wait, comedy brand. I, I don't remember the name of that show. You can, I'm going to Google I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna Google that because that's going to bother Google, me. Google now will pay us 10 bucks for saying Google twice. What is it? Um, all right, Scott, uh, Scott Ackerman. He also did the new Between Two Firms movie. You see the between. No, I didn't see the film. I know Zach Galifianakis. Dude, the film's dude. funny. It's it's stupid, but it's so funny. Finakis. Finakis. Comedy Bang Bang. Comedy Bang Bang. Yes. That was so funny. I don't know if it made the past two seasons. I, I watched the first two though. But Reggie Watts has went on to do other things. Again, Scott Ackerman wrote because when I was watching Between Two Firms the movie, I was like, they're ripping off uh, comedy Bang Bang. They're doing the same kind of jokes with the names, and I was like, at the end, it's like written by Scott Ackerman. I was like, oh, he's just that's, that's just yeah. his brand. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. So I've never had a drug conviction. Never had a drug conviction. No. Lucky. Um, You've never even done a drug, right? No, not. I mean, <laughs> except for the times you did. Except for the other times. No, I mean that, and that's a. Uh, Oh, is that a candle? Yeah, I forgot to light a candle for the podcast. Damn. Might as well do it. But, you know, I've dealt with it in my life. De- you know, family members, dead friends, and the whole thing. Now, granted, him making the joke saying I haven't done drugs is a joke. Yes. Um, well, you've been in rock bands your whole life, so... Um, 
Since I'm a little man, I'm not that much taller now. We should put the picture of you when you were 13 up on the, to advertise for it. <laughs> and you could, then you could play Never Gonna Be Tall. <laughs> Just me crying there. Like, man, man, it's great, man. Nobody loves me, man. Man. Now, you had a crazy story about... Uh, uh, what was the story when you're running through, like, a strip club involved? You're running, like... Somebody got beat up. There was a story you told me once. Was it a strip to... club or you, com- you combining stories? I might be combining stories. What's the one that where the dude, you were like a, it was like a drug dealer. Something went south. and some Ah! I mean, there's so many weird th- incidents. It was in New York. You, it was a friend you, that you were friends with that mm-hmm. I hadn't seen in a while. And you were like really mad at him by the end of it. I think he, was it a car, stolen car involved maybe? What? Have I blacked that out? No. I, I might be messing the story up. Shit. What's a good drug story you got for the podcast? I mean, I'm going to sink other people with some of them, but... Um, you don't have to use names. You can just say... One time, we were in the Lower East Side, and we were out having a good time, and one of our friends decided he was just going to go hang out outside for a minute, and I go out, and he's talking to this dude, and he's backed against the wall in um, like a gated part of... An apartment. If you know the Lower East Side, you, you you can see exactly what I'm saying right outside the trash bin. And I go, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And he's like, yo, your boy asked me to, to buy crack, and he won't buy it. He's like, I got it. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, now I'm just offering it to him for free. And he's like, he better smoke my crack. And I was like, dude, what what the f- like this? Seriously, this is happening. You, <laughs> this is real. Smoke and he's like, it. and he's like, will you smoke it so he doesn't have to smoke? Just someone's got to smoke this crack. And I was like, uh... So I was like, smoke the crack, dude. <laughs> <laughs> smoke the crack. And he's like, I already did. And I was like, wait. So I was like, you're now telling him he didn't smoke. And so this whole thing ensued that they were arguing about who smoked crack and who didn't smoke crack on the edge of a cigarette. That was one. And so I pulled him out of that. Nothing happened, actually. But did they Strange. smoke? Did, was crack smoked? You don't know. I think it was. I think it was. <laughs> I'm just not sure who knew who was Was it a cocoa puff, like in the cigarette, or a crack rock on top of the cigarette? It, like, tied into the end of it. Oh, they put actually a rock in there? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, a tiny, tiny piece. Well, that's what I was told. Yeah. I don't know. That's what he said. He's like, like, I tied it in, I smoked, you know. You ever smoked crack? I have. It's not not as crazy as That story's about me. (laughs) It was me. (laughs) Yeah, I've smoked it a few times. uh, It was enjoyable. I I enjoyed it. Um, I've done it once, actually. Yeah. It's not. It's not as crazy as to say now. If you, I had. There was one time. I don't want to get too much into it, but I smoked a good amount of it, and it got. It got a little intense. But just like doing too much blow, coming down. I mean, it was more intense than doing too much blow, though. It was like very mm-hmm. intense, but it didn't last for too long. And um, when you come down, this the, thing's falling. Coming down off that shit sucks. Even if it's coke, I'm not a big. I'm not a big fan of cocaine, honestly, or crack. Well, you know, part of what we were chatting about prior to sitting here is that. You know, you say the rock and roll thing and these stories and, you know, there's this documentary that's being made about a band I was in called The New Rising Suns and I had to be interviewed for that. And, you know, I make light of these stories and yes, they were my life and they were interesting and fun at the time. Did I question them as much as I question them now is a different thing that I feel, you know, in the come down or in some other fashion shame or was I fine with it? Is there the guilt? And, you know, I think that notion of rock and roll and 
these ideas of what you're supposed to live up to are so dangerous. They are dangerous. And they're actually counterproductive and intuitive. Now, granted, they're super fun at times. And certainly when people are, you know, putting, um, you know, you know, things in your mind that you're great and you think you're great. And um, they're putting, you know, beautiful firework future dildos up your butt. Like, come on, man, you got this. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, but ultimately you look at those things and you're lucky you got through those moments and, and some people didn't. And I mean, even just one specific moment, not just a, um, a degree of abuse, of drug abuse or years of it, like it puts you in vulnerable positions. And if some of us get away with it, some of us don't, uh, some of us are luckier than others where it continues in their lives, you know, um, I've been thinking a lot about that because when I first went in for an interview, for the New Rising Suns thing, I was, you know, being asked to talk about something that occurred 20 years ago that brought me a lot of joy at first and and honestly a lot of shit for the last two decades that I re- I'm regretting it. So I had to bring myself back there instead of just coming. I tried to put myself there literally. So at the beginning of the um, interview, I pounded like it was about eight in the morning within 20 minutes, about four screwdrivers, just to kind of bring myself there emotionally. So I would be honest. But at the same time, why do I need that to be honest? You know, why? And and so it's kind of like you utilize these things that you think are working for you. And are they working for you? Is it the best? Is it the best idea? And I'm bringing myself back to this idea by using booze so I can put myself in an emotional state to kind of say actually what I was feeling 20 years ago. Right. Instead of being like, well, here's what I feel about it now. Now, granted, I got to that ultimately in the interview. But, you know, there's these, I, these, these, there's these fun stories that are crazy and out of control. Like, you know, wh- what the hell? Why are you smoking? Cr- like, what's this crack scenario? That's like, right. Now, you know, I've seen, I know and have seen more drug use in New York and where L.A. and wherever then the silly story about why is crack outside, but that's just a strange notion. You yeah. Know? Um, now to parlay that, parlay, parlay, into a, a funny story, we were at a Christmas party for the New Rising Suns when we were signed to Virgin. And it was ultimately like for us as well, you know, but we were so stupid and young and, and trying to party there in the offices that... Um, I was going to the bar and putting the wine in my jacket. And the guy's like, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, it's your party. Just take the wine. I was like, oh, yeah, right. It's our party. Like, what am I? What was, I'm silly. Like, I'm allowed to. This wine is paid for by my record deal. You know, like, yeah. I'm probably paying for part of this. Um, but that very evening, uh, Drew, and Drew, I'm sorry, but we were chatting. And I was like, dude, there was this long hallway, like this long wooden avenue down through the desks and i was like run down into the middle of the party and do the pete townsend the who you know when he slides yeah. from uh, live at leeds i think and she was like all right and so in the middle of this virgin christmas party i'm like so i'm mimicking the who and drew just goes ripping through the party and slides through the whole fucking thing <laughs> that was good that's a good drunken fun story yeah that's awesome um, I was going to ask you, like, what, what do you think it is about rock and roll specifically? I mean, I guess rap music does the same thing. 
but that why is drugs so integrated in rock and roll? Is it because, and I would think it was probably because rock and roll was was a, a, a kind of juxtaposed against the church. The church was like, you're, mm. you're bad if you do rock. So rock became like a bad boy thing. Right. And then the war on drugs pushed the drugs in the black market. So if you did drugs, bad boy. So it kind of equaled think, each other? Well, I mean, that's a great point, yeah. But I think the idea is people who are who you know have a lot of leisure time and artistic and stuff and want to break boundaries want to do it with other things right well do, do you think beethoven was a was he a drunk or did, you know, that i don't know so i wonder like the classical if, i mean i guess i mean a lot you look of artists like poe edgar Allan poe or is that me yeah it's right there oh, scam call you look at artists and you know everyone wants to change their focus of their consciousness right right but then it becomes like the cool slicked out dude who's you know he's just too high to fucking manage man but y'all gonna go in the studio and man it's just gonna be great (laughs) you know and like and once upon a time you know it worked yeah but it killed a lot of people but you know you made millions and you were big and it was a cultural event when you put out a record and it was yeah but when you read the like the biographies of Jimi hendrix and kurt cobain they weren't enjoying it it's very hard to enjoy i mean you have it's moments of like there was moments on the stage when they were they knew that they were loved and appreciated, and the moments on the stage were fleeting, but those moments were worth it. But the rest of their lives were very, very hard to deal with. I mean, you know, we're riffing here, and, like, you know, this is a question I hadn't pondered. I pondered prior, but not today. Uh, you know, it's giving God... It's, it's, a, it's a sacrifice to the gods, and the gods of rock and roll don't give a fuck about you, man. And so you can give it all to them, and they'll just be like, bye, you don't mean shit. And it doesn't yeah. matter how big you once were or whatever... You're going to sacrifice yourself or those around you to it. You better be willing to pay the price because it's it's coming. Yeah, but you know, there's bands that, that kind of dodged it. And if you look at like Pink Floyd, Oops. like Sid Barrett basically bore, like took, took he, he bore the cross. Like he, it was Sid Barrett took the weight of that band on his shoulders and went insane. Mm-hmm. And then Roger Waters turns around and they took their drug times that they had with him and kind of quit did, doing drugs, but wrote all this beautiful music and probably did drugs here and there. But they became businessmen. Well, Barrett, do we really know ultimately what his life was post-Pink Floyd? It was not wanting to do nothing to do with Pink Floyd. And so therefore, was he crazy or is this a narrative that was, you know... Oh, that was created by the industry. I mean, granted, he was, you know, they say that when he walked in, he was unnoticeable, the madcap laughs and all these things. But, you know, there's also telltale that he wrote like a giant tome about art history because he was a painter first and all these things and... You know, if you were really look, I love Pink Floyd. So the statement comes from an objective place. Do, but no, think about. Do, do you like the Sid Barrett Pink Floyd or all of the Pink I like, Floyd? I like all Pink Floyd. All Pink. But the idea that, you know, in some ways they pushed him away, even though he was doing too many drugs and all that kind of stuff. Well, but he didn't want Pink Floyd to be what it turned into. He wanted it to be art. He didn't want it to be commercialized like it turned into yeah and i mean even as commercials pink floyd is i mean those are still the most some of the most i love i love love, yeah but they still made a a killing off of singing about a man who went crazy and and it's very like i'd be if i'm sid barrett i'm cognizant of this i'm like jesus stop singing about me like get a fucking new topic dude they they said uh, rem uh, michael stipe like hated what happened to sid barrett so much that roger waters came to one rem shows and 
when Michael Stipe went, went like went before his encore went off stage, and he's like, oh, "I'm Roger Waters, man. I'm I'm a big fan of what you're doing. I really like it." And he said he, he wouldn't even like shake his hand. I, don't, I might be messing up the not shaking his hand, but he said he he basically like blew him off. Was like, "I'm not talking to him," and went back on stage and sang a Sid Barrett song acapella for the closer. Cool. Well, that's interesting. I never heard that story. I did meet Michael Stipe once, and he was a very nice man. Um, not to say that that incident is not nice. It's a oh no, but he said he just he thought Roger Waters was a dick for probably profiting off of singing songs about someone who was going crazy. It's interesting, you know what? I, mean, I like those songs. Though. I love them, you know. I love Pink Floyd, but at the same time, these are you know going back to these are very flawed and fallible humans. Musicians are you know they're yeah. pretty damaged and. I think that's what leads to drugs and to the idea, and, and simply it's the idea of the party. I mean, you have, you know, as crazy as it's going to sound in terms of marketing, like, party like a rock star, do this, do that. And it's like, uh, it's become a norm with soccer moms, like, getting shit-faced. You know, it's a very strange trope that, is, that, is, that has gone through society. Yeah, as a party like a rock star sounds fun in theory, but the, the reality is the rock star is trying to, to destroy themselves. They don't want to be. They don't want to be in their own skin anymore. So if you can drink away whatever, I can drink away. There's certainly that's the majority. There's definitely the idea of burning the candle and transcendence, right, and pushing it. But it still doesn't lead into anything. That's true. I've had some good times on cocaine right now. But that doesn't mean you know that that's what's going to happen every time. You know, um, and certainly it leads to um, mostly illness and death. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you can... Sorry, I'm trying to find a, a little pouch of tobacco I'm going to try to find. What was something... You, you just said something and you made me think I can't recollect what it was. Um, about about people wanting to destroy themselves or forget who they are through drugs. Yeah, and the... Yeah. But I was just thinking like that... Like there's a great time. There's a good... Drugs can create some amazing things. I'm not anti-drugs. I just think that if you're using them to escape reality every day, it's not going to be... It's, the outcome's never going to be good. Well, but, you know... Reality is definitely subjective, and what is the reality that you're creating, right? If you can handle it, then by all means, enjoy it. But there's very few people I've seen handle it long term, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And not to say I'm against I, everyone should take, do what they want, enjoy yourselves. Uh, and I certainly have, and I certainly will. Um, but we're talking about the notion of the rock star and what comes with that. And yeah. I bought into the idea, and well, that's the problem with me is I bought into it before I was ever even close to making anything. You at least bought into it when you had a record deal. Like me, me and my buddy Matt were just like, like we're about to be fuck, we're about to do this shit. We would just get really drunk and high and try to write songs, and we didn't even have a band really, except for we had a drummer that was playing with us. And I remember the drummer being like, "Hey guys, what if we tried to do this without drugs? Like, what if we really tried it?" And he had, and honestly, if we would have listened to him, we might have done something. We were like, what if we did it with even more drugs? Like, like you, like nerd, like it, it, yeah. I mean, that's just naivete. You yeah, know? it was and, young and stupid. You know, the I guess the thing is this: the the whole party like a rock star thing. I've I've been witness and to see people who are on the other side who who do party all the time, and it's it's deep, dark, and scary, man. And when people say party like a rock star, I don't think they realize the extent to some of these celebrities in there. Um, their heroes are living. <laughs> I'm not gonna say any names and shit, but like, I mean, I've enjoyed myself and I still do. And I think I've gone overboard. But I look at some of these people, I'm like, fuck, I can't come 
close to you, and I don't, I can't hang out with you. Exactly, can't be near you. Well, what's the uh, so the show? But now that's does that make them like that's that's an invincible quality. I mean, isn't it? I mean, for like, what your, might Keith, like them, your Keith Richards, yeah, that might make them devilish in their behavior, and they might not be the greatest people, but they could be fine. You know, I don't yeah. like you. Just see, like, I would be crying in the corner <laughs> for days. That was like, David Duchovny was talking about his character in Californication. Mm. He's like, Hank he's Moody. like people, Hank Moody. Yeah, Hank Moody, and I have friends that idolize him, and he's like, he's like, he's like, people come to me, he's like, I want to be Hank Moody. He's like, you don't idolize a fictional character that nobody could really be. Right. If I drank like that and lived like that, you think I'd have abs? Like, yeah, like that's a fictional character. There's nobody. I would be a piece of shit. Like, I'm nothing to look up to. This is a fictional character. Right. Yeah. Oh, then, or you could put it into the, you know. The Bukowski parenthetical thing, at least Bukowski wrote, but, you know, Hank Moody wrote, but Bukowski was not fictional. Granted, right. he, was, he was fictionalized in some fashion, but, right. you know, there is, there's reality behind Bukowski. No, Bukowski was a, uh, had a lot of demons, and apparently he was abusive and things oh like God, that. Oh, my God, yeah, he was terrible. Yeah, his, but his then, writings you know, were great. That comes back, that comes now to, like, the PC notion of these things, you know, is what... what but what uh, we don't have to go down this road. What, are we, we going to meet too somebody who's dead? No, no. The <laughs> idea of how, you know what can you accept from an artist and how they behave in life, you know, and because uh, you know one of my biggest things is people will be like on this very notion, you'll sit and have drinks with them and like oh I hear that celebrity's an asshole or you know this and that and now that they're saying they beat anyone up or have a sexual uh, encounter that is nefarious or anything like that. Just like, they're dicks, you know? Like, and I'm like, you're a dick. <laughs> yeah. Like, you do nothing, man. You're, you know, like, I, at least these dicks are creative. And so that's where, like, how far can you destroy someone in that context? Like, if, you, if you're raping people and you're a fuck, that's fuck you. Yeah, like, that's definitely But different. I'm not going to not like someone's book because they're a drunk asshole. You right, know what I mean, because you were like you, I met you, and you were addicted. Well, Hunter S. Thompson's one of my favorites, and he was a complete prick everywhere. Like, and I, I went to the Woody Creek Tavern in um in Colorado. That was his like regular spot, yeah. and they, and one of the bartenders there was there like an older bartender. She was like, "Yeah, I worked here when when Hunter S. Thompson was still alive when he would come in here." She's like, "I worked here." When Johnny Depp was playing him in that movie and was was fa- shadowing him, mm-hmm. and so Johnny Depp came in here and sat beside him, oh, he's like, "Hunter S. Thompson was a prick." She's like, "We loved him just because he was who he was, but he wasn't a fun person to deal with. Like honestly, we we loved him, but we didn't like him." Mm-hmm. She's like, "He was a fucking prick." And like then Johnny Depp comes in. First we thought it's cool, and then it's like, no. He's not Johnny Depp. He's just being Hunter S. Thompson. Now we have two identical pricks <laughs> that we have to wait on. Uh, yeah, Johnny Depp's is far worse. It's, it's actually re- re- reminds me of the idea of um, that Andy barking, Kaufman, sorry. that Jim Carrey was a fucking piece of shit to everyone because he went into method acting for the Andy oh, yeah. Kaufman thing, right? Yeah. Is that nece- is that necessary? Is that I don't acting? think it's necessary. That, but there's the same thing that Maybe. you're you are you a stand in for another idea? Are you a vessel for the rock and roll thing? Or being, you know, like Jim Carrey saying, I'm gonna be Andy Kaufman, I'm gonna just live it. But don't you can't take it out on me. Like yeah. that's the thing with like the like, oh I'm a rock and roll dude, I'm gonna get drunk and be a prick. Well, is that really fucking cool? Now, but if you're just a drunk prick, but you made the best fucking record, 
I'm gonna listen I, to your record. I guess problem. it depends on it depends on the art. Also depends on how much of a prick you are. Like if you're raping people, nah, not like there's I mean, a, yeah, there's a line. Good, yeah. Then if you're if even if you're beating your woman, I still have to say ah, nah, that's too far. But if you're just an asshole, like if you're just a dude that's just a dick, maybe you said some <laughs> shit that you shouldn't have said. Ah, I can forgive a lot a lot of verbal things right. as long with the exception of some outlandish racist stuff. But if you're just a drunk asshole, eh. And also, you hear things all the time about people talking about famous people being assholes. Like, there was a, I, I, was, I met this guy who was like, oh, I met, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, hey, Reggie, calm down. Um, Dan, um, the quarterback for the, for the Miami Dolphins. Marino. Dan Marino. And I, I was a Marino fan when I was a kid. But he's like, Marino's a fucking prick, dude. He's like, I worked on a, a for a contracting company, and we had to build, I don't know, a pergola in his backyard, some shit. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and we were told we couldn't even talk to him. So I went, I went to talk to him, and he and he didn't talk to me, and then I got in trouble for talking to him. I was like, well, it, that that is kind of a, a elitist asshole. Sure, I get it, but also he just doesn't want to talk to you. He just he's at his house. He's like, I just want to enjoy my family. I, I'm not saying like if I was in Dan Marino's shoes, I would have been like, try to be nice. Like I'm not going to try to get you in trouble. I think it's a douche thing to do. But at the same time, he's Dan Marino, and you're a dude working on a construction site. Does he have to have a conversation with you just to be nice? I again, I would. I would right. be. I would want to have the conversation and be nice. He's a prick, but I don't think that means I don't. I appreciate the fact that he was an amazing football player or anything like that. Like it also could be the day. Like I mean, that's true. When you're when you are the focus of a day like that. Like I worked in fashion for a long time with my buddy Chad and. You meet all Victoria's Secret models and said we were building the sets and doing set design. They don't need my the fucking deal with me, and right. for me to interrupt them is actually counteractive and in, in, uh, to what's getting accomplished. Like, hey, yeah, you know, and uh, what, what, who are you, douchebag? You know, and so there are levels of self awareness in which you meet these people that people are really not cognizant to, and so therefore. Back to the thing, it's like you are—you're the asshole. Maybe that was just a bad day for him, you know. Yeah, we're, exactly. Well, you know, there's there's a level of perfection that I think is unachievable right now, and that's not to say that there's not a lot of. I must preface because I don't want this to be taken out of context. There's not a lot of people being done wrong too, and have been done wrong too across the board, but there's a level of perfection and judgment now that people are. There's no self-reflection. And the most simple things, or the most maybe just slip of the tongue, or and I'm not saying that's a, a racist slip of the tongue. Maybe you just said something stupid. Everyone's pretty fucking stupid, and like we yeah. have to give each other a little bit of a break day to day to get through day to day. Otherwise, we all start getting angry, and the anger is growing, and it's getting growing and growing, and it's not being directed in some of the right places, which is to help everyone ultimately and to yeah. make everyone see each other as friends and equals and that we uh you know i respect you you respect me yeah you know, the dogs are going nuts yeah i'm about to put them i just want to put the headphones see how bad it's going to sound in the in well the they stop now it, it probably sounds a lot louder in these mics though than <clears> it sounds to us well i mean i can't even hear it through the mic so yeah yeah well i have no headphones on yeah. i know well, yeah, I mean, you know, and these are, you know, and so prior to this, I've been questioning myself, as I told Aaron, and putting myself out there into into what seems to be permanence, right? Uh, um, a podcast that is putting me in the world. Yeah. And my thoughts and stuff, because your thoughts, thoughts meander, opinions 
are obviously not always easy to articulate. And sometimes we fail at articulating them correctly, even if we're to have our best intentions. Yeah. And many look at those attempts at articulation as an affront and an attack. Even when you're being sincere and um, wanting to communicate correctly. You're not in an argumentative state. You're not being reactionary. Um, and I find many of these, these fights come from... Most people define themselves as a reaction to other people instead of being themselves. Yeah. So it's like, if you're like that, then I have to be like this. Or, you know, and it's like, that's very tough. And, and People um, also live in a state of constant reaction to their environment, whether it's people or circumstances. And, and that's a way that we constantly relive the past through our emotions. Absolutely. And it's, and it's a very easy way to relive it through a device in your hand that is actually not... You know, you're touching a glass screen, not another person. Uh, you know, what, not, I don't mean literally. Like, you, you're literally touching the grass, yeah. glass screen, but you're not in the room to touch the other person or to be, you know, cognizant of their reactions. Well, and also, if you think about it, if you, if you get offended by somebody, you're, you're actually releasing chemicals in your body that release this anger and release mm -hmm. this tension. And if you, you can actually get addicted to those chemicals. And so when you have a thing in your phone that you can, if you want to be offended, you can be offended all day long if you just find the right person right. on Facebook. So people constantly, oh, here I am. Now I'm getting off. I'm getting my, getting my fix. I'm being offended. I'm going to say this and this and this. And then you can just keep going down the holes. So we have a whole generation of people getting addicted to being offended. I say we have all generations of people getting addicted. Oh, yeah. So a whole new age of this yeah. happening. An a but it's, yeah, epoch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Uh, and that, and that's fine, and you know I understand it. I guess it's more like, I mean, I guess we'll go down this tangent. Um, you know, where is it healthy, and where is it working, and where is someone reading into something that literally doesn't exist? Those things don't, you know, are not good for the person who's seeking justice. Find the, you know, find the right ways to do it, and I think change hopefully will happen i don't know that it will um and by saying that i don't mean the right ways or not i'm 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 pro you know i'm pro blm i'm i'm, I'm pro lgbtq i got it right um you know i'm pro i'm for everyone's best well-being in in life and so that those statements have nothing to do with that right it's more there's no reason for us to spark these things every day uh, because you know you can just go to the go to go down to the local restaurant and chat with somebody instead of yelling at someone on Twitter uh, yeah. we can find ourselves again that way hopefully I might sound completely stupid and naive I don't and ridiculous. I don't think you sound definitely not stupid but <clears throat> may, may, we, I hope you're not naive because I hope that we can get to a place where we realize that this isn't everything mm -hmm. but um, as we as we see children being raised by iPads and I see it everywhere um every gig i have that's where kids are that's just where their life is and it's easier for the parent to give them to their kids mm -hmm. and they said that they actually have done studies where our our brains rewire themselves when, when we're on the internet when we're using devices because it's a different uh form of of researching and searching things before right. it was you had to read a book or talk to somebody or listen to somebody mm -hmm. you couldn't just boom 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 pick what i want and go where i want because you can actually rewire your brain however you want it so we're actually being integrated with these with the internet well i, f I certainly feel that i can feel the change in my brain and my eyesight and my cognizance level and my addiction level 
has shifted. Um, I wish I could leave my phone at home. I can't at, at this point in my life, but that that change for me is not one that has made me feel better. No. And I think the bigger world... So, here's a <clears throat> pardon me, thought. I remember prior to <laughs> cell phones and the internet and blah, 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 running through New York and just feeling connected to, a, to an underground scene, but at the same time, a bigger world, right? Yeah. It just felt like there was no intrusions to what you were doing. Like it, it was, you had this great vibe, this great feel, the art was flowing. It, it was, ideas were flowing and you didn't take every 30 seconds to wonder if it was good or not, or if it was happening. You just were doing it. it was, you were yeah. living your life. Yeah. And I met more people from other countries and with, you know, doing other things in that time than when I have the device in my hand now. I feel the world is smaller now with it in my hand, even though my connection to the world is vast. I feel it's very myopic and it's changed my perspective of the mat, mat feeling like a magical feeling or like the elements taking over around you kind of thing. Now again, I could sound like an old fart and whatever within that, but I'd certainly felt more connected and there was a bigger world for me prior. Now, maybe I just don't know how to utilize the technology the same. Maybe I'm a Luddite and those kind of things, you know, someone could sit with me and be like, here's how you can find the bigger world and what, here's what you're I don't doing know. Now. I don't think so. I think that the people that are better at exploiting that, th those technologies, aren't, they're, they're not any better at being connected. They're just better at using mm -hmm. uh, interface. I mean, there's, to me, the, the world is, is actually out there. Mm -hmm. And when, you, when we go to like, when we went to Chicago, I was on my phone constantly to see where I was going, but that's it. It was right. just my map. Other than that, I was looking at the architecture, going on the tours and doing everything. That was, the, and it was amazing. And then going to bars and meeting people, talking to people, like what the city like. We went to the baseball game, talked to the people beside me. How long you, oh, you've been a fan your whole life? Great. Like just, that's, that's, that's the world. But when you're on the internet and you're talking to people on Facebook, that's not the world. Even when I see my nieces and nephews on Facebook, when I see, like, I get to see what they do. And it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. My grandmother loves it, right? You get to see things you're not there. And that's, it's very that, cool. That's great, yeah. It's great. But at the same time, I don't feel like I'm connected with my nieces and nephews because I've seen them on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Like, I need to go visit them. Like, I can't just be like, oh, we're good. We're on Facebook together. It's like a, tra it's like a you know, like brick code breaking or translating. What does it translate into for you ultimately, right? I mean... Uh, i.e. social media for the music aspect, it doesn't translate into a bigger world for me. Someone's heard it and someone is chatting for me maybe from Swiss, to me, sorry, from Switzerland or Australia, but I'm not in Australia or Switzerland. So my experience, my experience isn't growing in that sense. Um, and that's a very selfish thing, as I say it, because someone else's experience is growing through me. But at the same time, I want, I want to, I you want to be there. I want to, you know, I want to come there. How how can I turn our connection into me seeing your world and your culture for real? Well, it's like uh, um, Bill Bill Burnham, uh, Bill, Bo Burnham. On his special, at the end of his last live special, he says, I need you as much as you need me. And he, mm -hmm. he almost breaks down on stage. He's like, I, I hate to say, it, like, I need you. But it's I like that. I watch that, yeah. But it's like, like you're saying, like, it's not just like your fans might like your music and they need you, but they can listen to you. But you need them and you don't have them. They have you, you don't have them. And in, in that, in that, in that broader sense, I don't, you know. 
Um, I don't know, you know, they're not writing me all the time or telling you, not, not that I need that. I just don't know how it translates to their world. And, and I think that's, commu that's communication, isn't it, right? Yeah. You might say, oh, I love this song. And it's like, oh, cool. Oh, you played it over there. That's fantastic. Thank you. Because fuck, I, you know, I'm a nobody. But it's, it's a language through my phone, through the internet. It's, I'm communicating you in one fashion. This is not that you called my record label or you bought my vinyl and we're speaking when I come on tour to see you. This is all through a, a, a piece of glass, you know, and that's hard to kind of put in perspective, for me at least, yeah. and, and how it actually is reality. And that reality has, you know, made me question certain things I do and how I approach it and um, what does it, you know, what does it mean? Yeah. And folks, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your next move? Uh, as far oh, as God, goodness gracious, you don't know. Well, first of all, I don't even know that this was a podcast. And any, any of you like this? Hello, hello. I think it's great. McFly. <laughs> McFly. Um, what's my next move? In wait, I, I cut you off. Music. Like, are you? Um, are, are you gonna do? Let me ask you this: Is Twelve Eight Flowers do live shows? It's been a while. Well, it was eight years since the last Twelve Million Flowers release. And did you have you always done all the music on the records, or did you have no, no, like um, no, there were players on all the previous records. Well, mm -hmm. that's not true. On some, Kevin March from Guided by Voices played on some. Uh, Tony Mamoni from Peru Ubu played on some. There's been other string players and stuff. Some of it I've done everything. Others not. Um, well, I guess this would kind of falls into some of my answers tonight and some of my despondency, seeming despondency. Um, my next mu move, 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 musically, um, is probably to quit. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know that I can keep going at this pace and this and uh, uh, you know and putting out this much money and. Um, having these hyper ideas of regret and so on without having you know I put it first for a long it's been 30 years man yeah most people would do a lot better for 30 years of something so well 30 years since I started 25 since my first record deal um, so it, it, it's you know where's the delusion where's the truth and where's know. you know for me you know and so well you're, you're releasing good music though and I think I'm releasing the best music I've ever done. So why quit now? Because my heart hurts, man. My yeah. soul hurts. And it's painful to wake up and not, you know, to think you're doing the best you can. And life isn't fair, so this is not coming from a place of saying people should think I'm a genius or anything like that. Um, it's just the way it goes. It's, my, it's, it's, the, it's the track for me now, and it's what has happened based on decisions I've made and things I've done. Now, that's not to take away from all the people who have been absolutely great in supporting me. I wish I could, again, back to what we were saying five minutes ago, I wish I could come see you. I wish I could be there. Just not in the cards. It's just not happening. There's no support for me in that way that would lead me to have a bigger career right now. I know I will never be on a major label again, probably. Like, the, I will not be desired in such a fashion anymore. So... Yeah, but there's a lot of other avenues for music than, than major label, big tours. Totally, but I mean, there's licensing in this, of which I've been pushed and shunned from, maybe because I was an asshole to somebody or whatever it might be. I think I'd make pretty cinematic 
tunes. Um, it's a day-to-day kind of thing. I've done it day-to-day for a long time, and many people who have done who could try to do what I do would probably quit after three years. Yeah. But I'm on I'm I'm rounding thirty. And that could make me very stupid as well. Those people could say, well, you're a dummy. Why didn't you change your life and make better decisions? And again, I'm going to use parlay for the third time. Parlay out, you know. Um, And the answer is because I loved it. It defined me. I think I was good at it. There was some accolades. But now I see that my mortality and my death is sooner than later, probably, if I stick into it and push myself through it and um i you know and i and i i put all my money into it you know i, I can't do it's it it's taking anymore. a toll it's yeah. i've spent so much money yeah and so that's not to say I, I i guess the quit thing is a bit dramatic i just would make it question know, is how long could you make it if you quit before you have to do it again well, I hear no, I have, there's one, I've had, well, the two songs from the 12 a.m. Flowers are written, and there's one more Twiggy Branches song. That's it. If I get them out of my system and I don't pick up a guitar and I don't think about music, I'm free. No, you're not, because... Clean slate, You're not, though, because you have a project with me that we might be needing you in the studio for. Okay, well, that that's different, though. Until you call me, my brain is... My brain is in like it's like a, it's like a locker. My thing. problem is that finding the right musicians. Like besides Central. you, me, and Meg and Fort Myers, I can't find reliable bass player or drummer. Um, TJ, if you're listening to this, and you probably are, we want you to be the drummer. But you're back in Naples. I don't know what's up with you, but <laughs> but yo, we want to get up and jam. Also, so, you're in Tampa constantly. It's hard. You know, there were and and all, but here come here's a money notion. Very on that very same note, put together a budget. I can bring in anyone you want. And so that's what it, that's where it comes to again. No, the only problem with the budget for me is that if we bring in a drummer, I, I want to rehearse these songs out and practice them out. It's all part of it. It's all. Yeah, but but that that costs a lot more. No, money. it doesn't. No, one 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 fee. Yeah, but somebody's gonna come out here and rehearse with us for five weeks. No way, dude. I don't, exactly. We, we need for someone. I, I know people who do four days. So so we but wait so we could come up with work on the songs for a few weeks. Yeah. And then fly them in. And that's it. Done. Seriously, right, and then, that. yeah, I mean, but again, that's a budgetary thing in which you have to change we, we, we have, your life. We have a budget for this. Okay, but but that so, but again, now that's you see what I, like it kind yeah. of meanders into there, and the next thing for me is probably to have another beer, maybe a white claw or what's the one you drink? Coors Light. No, the the, the seltzer. Oh, there's a there's truly. a there's a truly in there. Maybe I'll have a truly, but for music. Once I start thinking about, like, I hear the other, the three songs that I've spoke of. I hear them, I know they're done in my head, it's done. Yeah. I don't have to, it doesn't bother me. Once they're out of my head, I never have to think about them again. But once I start picking up new ideas, I can't sleep, I can't do shit. Like, I want to hear it, and I want to make it happen. And the only way to kind of get away from this is to not think about writing. Them. Right. Well, this might sound like a cop out to some. No, it doesn't. Not to me. It's a long time, listener. Listeners, this is a long time. I have tried to quit music for a long time. Granted, and I've never done what I've not done with you. You've released records. You're on iTunes, Spotify. I've just been writing music my whole life, but I but I haven't released anything. I got into playing covers, and I shouldn't have because it ended up draining me. 
and it, but it made enough money to me to get by, so I got you sucked. You make so much more money than me. I, but it sucks. <laughs> I play covers. I even thought about like my purpose. If I ever, if there's ever like a, a a point at the end of your life where you're like, what was your purpose? Like your purpose was to rip off other people's music and profit off of it. You are a fucking hack. Like it's and it's different than being a hack. But it's like it's one thing when Kurt Cobain put, picked a cover in the middle of his original show, whereas I play all covers. And if I put in my original, people go, well, I don't know if I like Okay, that. on a deeper philosophical notion here that you've taken us into as right. we were kind of closing things up. But, <laughs> um, what is legacy and what is long term? We haven't built the pyramids. You or I are not going to do that. That's true. And even the Beatles haven't done it. I mean, they're pretty damn close, but... The Beatles know, will last longer than any other music that I know of popular culture. And they have, I mean, truly. Um, but where is that legacy lie and when you start thinking about what is your legacy and how is it important and well, if it if it if like shit man we sold a thousand vinyl right but when when those people fucking kids don't throw out their vinyl my fucking vinyl's gone and at that point but here's it's, where, gone, it's over I know and that's a very dark and I, I hate that's to say real. I hate to say cynical way to look at it that's not cynical that is real yeah but they're, they're they're pretty close and um it, Okay. I'm here, 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 so here's what I'm saying. I, and I'm talking about almost like some next level bullshit. Like like if you talk about like sci- almost Scientology level. Like what if you get up after death and there's like this whole other world. And they're like, what did you do? And your actual stuff does live on in another dimension, but it has to be worthwhile. Somebody like wild like, stallions. Like for instance, if you and I all of a sudden were in a place to ju- to not to judge people, but to greet people after they died. Mm-hmm. But we also would be able to decide if they get to continue into the next life or just be nothing. Right. People like Kurt Cobain and the people that we love and that we've listened to, um, actors, movie stars, and even people that, you know, mathematicians and people that just came up with brilliant things. You're in, you're in, you're in. What did you do? I was like, I was a musician. Oh, what did you do? I was like, I played cover songs and four more pieces. You're out immediately. Okay, but no, no, no. But here's a, here's a great thing that you took it the next step further. The idea to me would be if I'm walking to there and I'm being judged by that, then I don't want to fucking go there because I don't want to... This consciousness... And I this, think you'd be in, though. No, no, but here's my point. I, even if I, the, my idea of what the legacy is so minimal that when if that's the judgment of my life and the next to get to the next stage, I, I, I shouldn't get through either. Once you cross that boundary, in my opinion, the question should not be what my... my uh, mortal coil, you know. Well, I, well, what was your legacy? What you know? What I'll say this: my legacy this is podcast dirt. is the best thing I've done so far, as far as something I'm releasing that's original, and we've put music on it. This is the best thing I've done so far. That's great, and that's legacy again. But it's 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 it means nothing. None of it means anything. So, but my point is, if I went up to that, if if you know, if there is a fucking toll booth, and, a toll booth. and they're like, Kev, what's up? And they're like, well, you wrote some music that was original. I would rather be like, you know what? I took care of my grandfather when he was dying. That's- Maybe that's what they want. Maybe that's what it is. Right. If I if I go up there, I'm like, did you hear my song? They're like, no, we don't listen to that shit. Yeah. What did you do? But like, exactly. Um, and I'm not I'm not a very altruistic person in terms of like, I don't go to soup kitchens. I don't do those things. But I help everyone I know that I can. And I, you know me, man. Like I give as much as I possibly can. I'm positive. I want to see the best for my friends. Yeah, well, am I being vain thinking that the purpose would be what did you create when the purpose would have been who did you help? Well, that comes back to the whole idea of a materialistic society and what is your legacy and why, why is that important? 
you know. Um, but even in the book Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl was talking about, and I, I talk about that because I just read that book. But he was in the concentration camp. One of his biggest things when he got when he went to Auschwitz was mm-hmm. he had his life work on him. And he was trying to keep it, and right. he was like, "It's like am I gonna be able to hide this? Keep this? Like, not only will you get punished if they catch you with it, but you're you're stupid if you think you're ever gonna make it through this right. with, that. with that." And and immediately got taken, and it, and it was just like he lost his life work. But he said he's like the only thing keeping me going was remembering that life's work and mm-hmm. trying to put it back together, and the thought of his wife and children. Those those the few things, but his brainchild was just as important almost as his family. But that's a okay, one hundred percent. If we're gonna, that's a legacy through deep, deep, deep torture and hell. And also, his legacy though was a, a science that he wanted to use to help people. I right, should, I and say that. so it was under insane circumstances. Yeah, you know, mine, mine come through. Yes, there's challenge, there's self torture, there are roadblocks and all of that. But no one has imprisoned me. I'm imprisoned myself. Yeah. So the freedom I have or do not have is simply because I've chosen it for the most part. Now, granted, there's societal things that I've embodied and so on, but that that notion of legacy and that notion of striving through and holding on to that creation uh, to survive is to say this can this uh, that's history. That's could take could be repeated. You know, this is something that should never occur. This is something that should never happen again. And if I can survive and show you this and and reach you, therefore, my legacy actually has a a, a, a way out. There's a you yeah. know there's a way through. Me writing my own music about Mary Shelley. Granted, people can have fun and do things through that, and it might trickle down. But that's not going to change the course of history yeah. and the course of people stopping genocide. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, like my song, like that doesn't occur. Like if my song, if I made my song that stopped that, fuck, oh my god, it'd be incredible. Yeah, I, I do think though that music in general can can help steer us away from things like that, just from creating happiness and creating pleasure and entertainment. Is it ex- by itself what needs to happen? No. If, if if something nefarious is brewing, something ominous on the horizon that's mm-hmm. about to happen politically. I don't know that anybody singing a song can stop it. Your story is the same as my story. My story is the same as many others' story. His story is very specific. So our songs may come through and may help people, but those who write actual revolutionary songs who are part of the revolution are different than you and I, right? Those are the songs that should be paid attention to in that point. And if they go to the next stage and they're like, what song did you write? Motherfucker, I wrote this song, you know? So so to, in today's climate, it's probably more your, your hip-hop songs that are singing about the actual oppression that's still happening. And those like those like that kind of music really is creating change. And it used to be with rock and roll. Like, uh, rock and roll and civil rights kind of came together in the 60s, right? It was yeah. anti-Vietnam and pro-so... Like, anti-white supremacy. Anti-white supremacy. That, that all came together in the 60s. And... That that music helped. I think Bob Dylan's music helped. The Hurricane, these songs came in and they, they were promoting change. And then the '90s, Rage Against the Machine came in. And what happened? You have a guy singing about real shit, and a bunch of uh, suburban white kids who have no idea what he's singing about taking their shirts off and moshing to it. And not, like I, don't, I think the message got lost when the '90s happened. That I couldn't answer that question. Um, I, don't, I didn't see any real change happen with Rage Against the Machine's music. You look at his concerts. You didn't see people going like, "You're right." <laughs> you, you know, we stopped pressing the brown man. Like it was like they didn't even understand what he was singing about. 
there, there, oh yeah, I mean, there's truth in that. I mean, there was not the, saying everybody did. No, the Free Tibet concert, which which was part of Radiohead, was part of and stuff. There were those, and the Beastie Boys ultimately. Um, I don't. I mean, the, these are. The, I mean, this comes back in Harkins on the definition of what is art, what is change, what is, you know, uh, past versus the future, what is permanence over, you know, smoke. I mean, right. Um, I just think, you know, in terms of smoke, you can both shit smoke up a lot of people's asses. <laughs> and it's a lot of bullshit, you know. In terms of permanence, um, I have no progeny. I'm a single man. And for all, you know, I'm not married. Um, and my legacy dies with me, ultimately, probably. Or, the you know, the X amount of small amount of people who I've met and who bought tangible shit for me. Once I'm buried or burned... There's no Kevin. Well, you know, and so once those yeah, two thousand records go, mate, it's gone. Yeah, so I mean, how can I judge myself? No matter what, though, no matter what you think of yourself, even if you're the person, you, like somebody that's done way less than you, your legacy doesn't necessarily die just because your name's not remembered. You had an effect on people that continue. It will ripple and echo throughout eternity, no matter what. Okay, it well, might that's, be very that's... minute. Well, are we talking eternity as in, you know, the multidimensional, multifaceted? You, I, I feel like you are infinite and infinite being ultimately. Okay. You will, you will never, ever not be, and you will also never really be. It's just we we are here for a very I got to talk to Distro Kid then so I can get my fucking relatives in the next life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shit. I don't know. You know, I, I think about that. Um, you know. It it makes you think of your importance in what you. What was the chaos theory? A flap of butterfly, a butterfly could create a hurricane or something right. across the globe. That cause and effect. Yeah, that so that little thing, just your existence alone, the ripple that you will create will be felt throughout eternity. It just might not be. They're never going to be like that was Kevin. I just felt. True. They don't know who you are, but there was something they did differently that wouldn't happen if you wouldn't have you existed. You know what might happen? Someone might be eating breakfast and like the spatula falls out of this. Back to the frying pan. We're going to bring this into another frying pan. And it falls out. And I'm like, oh, shit, I dropped that. But you know what? That was my ripple. That was the ripple. Kevin that was ripple. my ripple. So on that day, I will know that I am immortal. <laughs> I have moved your spatula. And they picked it up and went right back to the cooking. Yeah, they got like, it again. They're like, they licked it. And I was like, well, thank you for licking my soul. Thank you so much. <laughs> and that is... So what are we going to do now? I feel like we brought it back to the spat or brought it back to the to the bulletproof uh, cast iron skillet that you carry around with you. Mm-hmm. Um, You're talking dealing for cl- a closing statement. Oh, if we want to close, I was thinking, what are we gonna do after this? We can go back to your house. I gotta pee. I gotta pee so bad. So when we hit pause. When we hit pause, you want to wrap it up. Well, if we wrap it up, what's the wrap it up? All right, you gotta do you gotta free- wrap it up. Freestyle, ready? One, two. Wait, freestyle in what way? And rap, you ready? No, man. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I am stuck. I cannot freestyle at all. Um, ah, it was a fun podcast, I man. It was good to have you on. This is a, I, you know, I appreciate it. I'm not. I sure appreciate you coming we, on. I know, you, know you weren't ready to really. You weren't trying to do something. Not like at this. all. I'm here because I love you, and you wanted. To, you know, I've been putting it off. I really appreciate you and, being on here. And if I look like a dick, I'm gonna fucking haunt you nah, and my dude. legacy through infinite, <laughs> inf- infinite times and spatulas and. And frying pan. A frying pan falls off a shelf after yeah. you're gone, hits me in the head. I'll know, I'll know what that you're gonna is. You're going to be at Home Depot, and the whole thing is going to be like, <laughs> and you're like I, I knew it. Well, dude, thank you so much for being on here. Spatula Rock. Spatula Rock, new genre. Well, I'll figure it out. We'll figure oh, out. wait, on that note, 
I think that the new scrolling, that the new music, the new kids are doing, these youngins that have the new emo that runs all over the place. There's a new emo? Well, it's like kind of crazy. Um, that's I call it scroll rock or like, you know, like you're scrolling through your, your phone. phone. Yeah. Scroll rock. It's like, da-da, da-da, and then you stop, and then da-da, da-da. Now, that's not a bad thing. I think it's scroll. I think we're in the era of scroll rock. In the era of scroll rock. But is there really a new emo coming? I've heard some bands recently that, I, you know, maybe they're not new. Maybe they're new to me. I, I don't, don't know emo that I well. hate that genre. Even though I played in bands with I say, emo, I said, emo big guys. Well, I, I, when I, I don't know 100% the difference in emo and screamo. Well, it's, it's, it's screamotive. I don't like it. When the bands are screaming about girlfriends, I'm not I, feeling yeah, it. Yeah, I never listened to it, and I was in a band with one of the big dudes. But let me tell you something. This is gonna. This is the Pizza on Drugs podcast, podcast, <laughs> and we are the answer tonight. You know, we all come back down here. Yeah. All right. T- that was terrible. That was good. Peace no, out. No, we no, we're not doing it. We're out. Hold on. Find yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hit stop, because I'm going to keep going. All right, we're done. We're out of here. Kevin, thank you for being on here. Love you, brother. Cheers. All right, again, thanks for listening. That was my good friend Kevin McGinnis. Again, if you want to hear his music, 12 a.m. Flowers on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp. Uh, Listen to Twiggy Branches. If you want to buy merchandise to support... My friend Kevin, go to glorydriven.com where his shirts are available, Twiggy Branches shirts. Also, you can go to arcticrodeorecordings.com if you want to listen to the stuff he recorded with the new Rising Suns on vinyl. Hope to see you guys, or to, to hope to you guys catch us again this Sunday for Sunday Psychedelic Spirit. And we'll be having some new podcasts up soon. Thanks for listening. Peace Peace out. out.